Hello and welcome to the first AdTech with a Like Audience podcast of 2023. This podcast is brought to you by a Like Audience, the premier audience targeting company with high performing mobile audience segments. Every month, we spotlight leading executives, CEOs, and marketers from industry leading companies. My name is Duncan Craig. I've been a business and technology journalist for a decade and worked in ad tech, content, and comms since 2013. We're aiming to speak to as many interesting people in the ad tech and digital marketing and advertising industry across half the world. So welcome to episode 11 of the Ad Tech with a Light Audience podcast. And today we're talking to the co-founder of a light audience, Bosco Lamb. Bosco is an addressability working member of the IAB Tech Lab in the U.S., has expertise in behavioral economics and consumer data, and he's passionate about empowering marketers to reach their target customers through connecting data and media and developing privacy-safe audience targeting solutions, all very topical issues in the marketplace right now. Bosco, welcome. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you for having me here today. Great. I think there's a lot of turbulence in the market right now, and I you really do have to start the 2023 discussion with the macro view. And because a like audience operates in three markets, the US, Southeast Asia, and Australia, I know you're going to have a pretty considered viewpoint. There's a lot of changes in consumer behavior post-pandemic, and we're experiencing challenging economic conditions, you could say. So, Bosco, big topics, given that landscape, what's your view on the landscape and on the emergence of all these new consumer touch points and attention measurement? Because all these things are drivers for media planning and data strategy, right? Yeah, indeed. Um, I would say 2023 is a challenging year. You know, uh, people have walked out from the pandemic. America and Europe were the first and Asia is catching up this year. Um, and a few other big topics, you know, um, strong dollars are making Americans importing good bargains from overseas with an all-time high trade deficit. Um, a lot of companies are adopting hybrid work arrangement, uh, which allows a lot of flexibility. Um, I would personally prefer a weekday getaway instead of a weekend getaway, which I love to. There are also some permanent changes post-pandemic, you know. Um, people are so used to shopping online and they are highly aware of health and wellnesses. So I would say 2023 is the year for retail media networks, particularly for international products. Discounted things, pharmaceutical and medical related stuff are huge. So all in all, these are what I would think uh, is happening in this year. Thank you. I think there's a lot, lot of change going on, as we all know, um, wherever you are in the world. Um, how do you quickly do you think the ad tech industry or the digital advertising and media industry, how quickly do you think the industry is adopting, you know, to to handle these changes and to be resilient in the face of these changes? Well, uh, thank you, Duncan. That is actually a good question. Uh, when we look at the resiliency, we always think about uh, short, medium to long term, right? Before we jump into that, I will actually start with our thesis behind a like audience. 
everything begins with consumers. Or I use the word audience interchangeably, how they spend their time, attention, and money. These behaviors are the fundamental drivers that affect media plans and data strategies, including data collection and collaboration, targeting, analytics, and measurements. So going back to here, I think in the short term, 2023 is a challenging year, not because of the economy, but also how consumers are spending their money, like the t- attention and time span are so fragmented. Say, for example, more short-term content and videos, hybrid work environments like you and I are encountering right now, that creates a lot of mixing moments between work and life. You just cannot target a business person in their daily 9-to-5 routines. And I think in the long term, we have to look at um, the tightening privacy policy. This is an ongoing conversations um and also their uncertainties around the big tech uh arrangements you know their cookies um and antitrust lawsuits it is not only in 2023 but it lasts to 2024 or you know a few years that is coming so i think uh in the long run um data owners no matter you are the brands or publishers you have to first revisit internally how your data strategies are still applicable for retaining existing audiences and to acquire future audiences. In the meantime, we also have to have external partners that a data owner may collaborate and to find innovative ways to outpace the competitors to reach your audiences. And I don't think within one year will be enough. It is more a long-term strategy. Fascinating. Wow. There's a lot on your plate this year then, Bosco. Um, I think you touched on one of the topics there, which is data privacy, uh, there's a mad rush around the world to get a, I guess, a 360 view of a consumer, um, the, all the consent issues, um, and also first-party data, which is the hot topic in a post-cookie environment along with contextual and other targeting mechanisms. Do you think publishers are making the right strategic moves and what are the risks and the potential blind spots in this area? Yeah, I think this is a day-to-day topics that we uh, speak with our clients, our partners and agencies, obviously with publishers as well. Um, They're having a huge concern uh, on the cookie uh, deprecation. It seems like once there was the announcement, everyone seems to have stayed away from external data and focus on their own first-party data sets. Well, actually, I like the Apple analogy. Duncan, you own an Apple, and I own an Apple. We both come with our own first-party apples, right? You show me your Apple, which becomes my second-party Apple. I'm biased if I always yeah. claimed my first-party Apple is better than uh, my second-party Apple. I may have a rotten Apple, <laughs> But Duncan, you come with a fresh apple with a best before date and you trace all the way back to the product's origin. So a lot of apples here, but I just want to demonstrate focusing only on first-party data will have blind spots. Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, leveling up uh, the first-party data strategy is still fundamental. But data collaboration will bring you a more comprehensive audience view and it's only possible when two or more data owners like you and I um, be it a brand or publisher, have equally leveled up. 
So like having fresh data and having legit user consents to share uh, such kind of data sets. Otherwise, you trade a rotten apple for a fresh one, you will lose a friend like you, you will lose the trust, you lose a good data partner. Interesting analogy. Thanks for that, Bosco. Um, we're, I'm assuming there's still a lot of bad apples out there to weed out of the ecosystem, whether it be via um, you know an open web programmatic exchange, um, media buy, or some other um, mechanisms. And we know that data clean rooms are going to have the are having the moment because everyone wants to have the fresh apple. Correct? Yep, indeed. We'll have to watch that space. I think also the other uh, issue for marketers, agencies, brands, everyone in the ecosystem is defining data collection. I guess we're, you know, we're 10 plus years on from the advent of automated digital advertising. The question remains in my mind is, you know, are we here to collect everything for the sake of collection? We saw the rise and fall of DMPs. For example, you know, do I need to know all about Bosco Lamb. To what granularity of exposing that customer data or getting the customer data on Bosco um, is required um, in order for brands to get good insights um, on that individual? What are, you, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, this is actually scary if I'm the consumer Bosco Lamb and I think <laughs> everyone is tracking about me. Yeah, um, well, it is uh, both a uh, practical questions and also I would say um, data ethics, like how granular we should track, uh, or collect data and how we give back the consents and, and also the rights, right? You know, data privacy rights back to the consumers. So imagine in the last decade, uh, in, sorry, excuse me, in the last decade, the industry yeah. mentioned a lot about holistic view of customers. You want to know all the touch points so that you can attribute your dollar from a marketing standpoint, right? And, the complete customer journey would help you plan out uh, your media strategy, your data strategy, and even your sales, like how you drive the sales, how you retain a customer. So data collection has been focusing on understanding users both offline and online, or even they re-identify user profiles with behaviors before and after they register. So everything has to be down to one-to-one granularity. But today, the challenge is that we have a tightening privacy policy, which is actually a good thing to protect both a company because you know where you should play and how you should respect the customers or the consumers. So having these more standardized and transparent guidelines, we both as a company and a consumer, I think there would be a lot more trust such that we know a brand, how to use our data, and also for a brand, how they are bounded by what kind of data that they can use. And within this boundary, I know like even Facebook, they suffers from Apple's latest ATT policy. I would say one-to-one marketing or advertising was still alive, but it, no, it is not an easy task on going forward. The industry has to accept that it is getting more challenging if we don't innovate and still insist on one-to-one advertising. So imagine with 9% of your customers, by default, they have opt-out from direct marketing. Even though you have that customer identity, online and offline purchase records, what action can you add on such data? You just can't. So to answer your question, 
collecting the most granular consumer data would raise a lot of risk and costs while the return diminishes. I would say in the future, the art is to find the optimal standpoint where the collected data is good enough, but actionable with positive returns, obviously respecting your customers. It's best noted that Facebook lost 10 billion US in revenue from Apple's attention tracking transparency push last year. And there's some people in the industry are now realizing that in order to communicate a message to consumers, they might have to do it with less data now. That's what you seem to be saying, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, there is a common word uh, in the industry, uh, uh, data minimization. I think that is actually a good idea, right? Uh, keys, uh, keep it simple, stupid. Um, if you can do more with less, why not? Um, we just do not want to better risk or responsibilities on overexposing customers' data, you know, uh, not only from the cost standpoint, but also from the risk standpoint. And so I would say, kids, keep it simple, stupid. If we can do more with less data, why not? Interesting. I guess it, it comes to the, this comes to the next challenge, which is, fragmentation whether it's the media media fragmentation channel fragmentation audience or data fragmentation we know that everyone is splitting off into their preferred channels so we've got a diverse range of digital touch points connecting all these dots is challenging let alone measurement attribution of the customer journey and we've got these tightened privacy laws which obviously speak to the issue of consent how, how are you managing this challenge or these challenges, Bosco? Yeah, um, in, within our like audience, we always, uh, encourage our team and our engineers, even we externally share with our clients to rethink we are not in a perfect world. Imagine one to one targeting as playing the darts, throwing your darts. You always want to hit the bull when you have low bias and no variance. So in technical terms, bias, variance, trade-off is a legacy problem to minimize in machine learning, which is what we think the art in the future of leveraging this technology rather than collecting all the data sets and just go out and throw the dots. So having high bias and low variance is when you target, say, for example, Gen Z, but your campaign ends up uh, reaching millennials only. The other Extreme is low bias with high variance is when you know you should target Gen Z and your campaign has actually reached out to Gen Z plus some noises of millennials or misclassified baby boomers. So back in our example, you know, 90% of our customers uh, opt out. Uh, we have noises in data. We have to identify missing attributes. Uh, we have data in uh, that is available on smartphones, but no other touch points you have mentioned, be it CDV, tablets. We have to cleanse them, or we have to collaborate with other trusted data owner to enhance our first-party data. This is what we always mention to level up your first-party game. Um, the art is to is is how we can leverage the remaining ten percent of in data as a seed data, such that we can project to the remaining nine percent with a constraint of minimizing the bias and variance. This is where the machine learning comes into the game of marketing. Uh, well, I think we should have another standalone podcast 
just a deep dive into this section. Yeah, I think you're right, Bosco, because, you know, um, it's fascinating. That 10% opted in seed data pool, can you just explain briefly now how you take that data and project to the remaining 90%? Can you do that? Yeah, first of all, 10% is uh, a hypothetical number. Uh, some uh, even having less than a single digit of uh, opt-in data. I, I I just like put it in a hypothetical way. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, 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 I know it could be 1% to 5%, right? Yeah, okay, please continue. Yeah, in, in fact, uh, it is challenging by working in a very small uh, sample set of data sets uh, in order to project uh, into a larger uh set a uh, population of data and first of all uh, to work on the seed data we have to understand by default uh, if there are any biases already existing in, in the data sets uh, we have a lot of um, data ethics on that are we discriminating certain races um, you know genders or other equality issues uh, we have to do a lot of filterings on having the data that is a good representation of my existing customers. So we just cannot use that 10%. We have to even having some uh, further less data after we apply these filters. And uh, obviously after that, uh, we have to look into the core attributes that would be helpful in our modeling. Say, for example, if I run a uh, fashion e-commerce, um, yeah. what are the key attributes that induce uh, purchase? Uh, having the right size, having enough amount of stock, um, the user journey, are they coming from social media? Are they coming from CDVs? So we all look at these attributes so that we project to the larger population. Should we invest our media in particular channels or short form videos or the time and date when people are browsing fashion products before they go to bed? Um, so these are some, uh, interesting examples uh, that we can derive uh, from having machine learning models. Thank you, Bosco. Very interesting. I, I guess um, for the last question for today, um, what are your other thoughts in your mind for 2023? There's so many issues we could talk about. What issues do you think will define digital advertising this year globally? Wow, um, that's a lot to do. Obviously, uh, it is only uh, February. I think time flies already. We have 10 months left. Uh, well, I would say the market will be as challenging as always, but we're not alone. A like audience always encourages in, uh, to collaborate, uh, not only from a data point of view, but also to build trust and transparency. Our ecosystem has to be an open garden, right, Duncan? Yeah, right. You're a strong believer in the open web. Yeah, oh, as always. Great. Well, Bosco, thanks for your time today. Um, I wish you have a, a very good year. We hope to tap your insight again, whether it be through another podcast or a blog at some point. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you so much for listening. To find the show notes, transcript, and more information about the Alike Audience segment offerings, log on to the website, alikeaudience.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you in the next session. Bye.